Thank you. Good evening. Good to be here. I want you to know that it is extremely special when I get to come back home. Albuquerque is my home city. This is my home church. This is where all my roots are. This is where I got excited about Jesus Christ. This is where I grew in the faith. This is where I got trained for ministry. This is where I had fellowship for many years. This is where I met my wife. (laughs) She used to work as a a secretary for the assistant pastors, and um, I met her here, and we had our wedding performed here, and actually, it's uh, Kim's birthday yesterday, so Kim, where are you? She's right there. So it is wonderful to be here with friends and family. And it's always interesting to get here and see all the changes. I love what you've done to the place. (laughs) Amazing what God has done here. And you know, guys, I'm actually extremely excited for what's happened here in the change in leadership over the last several months. It's exciting. It's good. Uh, This last January, I was in Belize with Pastor Skip for a number of days. We did an outreach out there. And it was just really good to spend time with him and hear him reminisce about all the things that had taken place here and hear him talk about his vision that's coming up later in his future. And he's been a wonderful pastor and a great, great friend, and God's used him mightily, and God will continue. But I'm also extremely excited that you guys have Pete. I love Pastor Pete. Did you know that Pastor Pete and I went to high school together? We played on the varsity golf team at El Dorado High School. Pete's a little bit older than I am. I didn't know him very well. I'm actually, I was better friends with his younger brother named Matt. But just a wonderful thing to see what God has done in his life and just to to get to know him better. You guys are hooked up. You have a great pastor. And and I'm praying for that, and these changes are good, and there's going to be growth. Since you are my home church, and before I get started tonight on our Bible study, I would like to ask you to be praying for me and our church that's located in West El Paso. A year and a half ago, we purchased six and a half acres on the west side of El Paso that has three metal buildings on it, one of which is a giant cotton gin. We're going to be turning a cotton gin into a church sanctuary. And so this used to be an indoor soccer field, right? Um, God's called us to do it to a, a cotton gin. And the reason I want you to be praying for us is because we did move to our property last October. And we've been meeting in a tent on site since October. This beautiful circus-like tent that seats 350 to 400 people. And I want you to know that tent life is different. (laughs) It's adventurous. It's exciting. We've had to deal with wasps, mosquitoes, heat, cold. But I want you to know that since we've been in that tent, our church has doubled in size. We've seen people come to Christ at almost every service. It's tent revival in El Paso, Texas. 
And I'm excited. And that's proven, uh, God has proven to me that it doesn't matter where you meet, but that you meet. And that when you meet, you take care of priorities. You study the Word of God, you worship, you pray, you fellowship. So be praying for us, would you? If you think about us, um, pray for that church that's meeting on the west side of El Paso. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Revelation. I want you to turn all the way to the last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 16. We've been going through the book of Revelation chapter by chapter, verse by verse at our church. So yeah, we're kind of the weird group meeting in the tent, studying the book of Revelation. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it's been a blessing. It's been a wonderful blessing, and God has really spoken to us from this area of His Word. And there was a message that the Lord gave me a couple weeks ago out of Revelation chapter 16 that I want to share with you tonight. So let's pray. Father, thank You for just the wonderful blessing that we have in knowing You. Thank you, Lord, for your word, how alive and powerful it is. Lord, I pray that you would grab each one of our hearts tonight. That you would give us ears that would really hear what you would have to say. Hearts that are ripe, ready to receive. Convict us, Lord, tonight if need be. Comfort us if need be. Take this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In Revelation chapter 16, the Apostle John gets visions of some terrible things that are going to take place on planet Earth in the future. Let's read it. Look at verse 1 of Revelation 16. John says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, And it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Look at verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. The book of Revelation gives us a great deal of information about details that are going to be taking place on planet Earth during the final seven years of history. 
this final seven-year period of time, which we know as the tribulation period. And the book of Revelation does not paint a pretty picture. There are going to be some tough times coming to planet Earth. The book of Revelation, you read about earthquakes. You read about meteorites crashing to the earth, famines, plagues, disease, violence, war, bloodshed. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us that in the tribulation period, half of the world's population will die. During the tribulation period, the book of Revelation also teaches that the Antichrist will be in power, a satanic world dictator who will rule the world. He'll have an evil partner, a religious world leader known as the false prophet, and they will all be influenced satanically, and together they'll control the world. They will command the people on planet Earth to bow down and worship the image of the beast, the Antichrist. They'll demand worship, and if you don't worship, there'll be death. They will command the world to take a mark either on their right hand or on their foreheads. With that mark, you'll be able to buy and sell. Without it, you won't. And you won't be able to get the mark until you bow down and worship the beast and the Antichrist. And those that don't will be killed or have to go into some kind of survival mode. This is what's coming to planet Earth. And let me just say, you want to miss the tribulation period. That's one period of history that you'd rather just read about than have to experience. And I do believe that Jesus will come back for the church first. Amen? And that true born-again Christians who belong to the Lord, they will be raptured out of here before the tribulation period comes. And so you can't escape that time that's coming to planet Earth if you'll... Bow the knee if you'll open your heart, if you'll ask Jesus to be your Savior today. Because it's going to be tough. I've taken you to Revelation chapter 16, and this chapter looks forward to the last part of the tribulation period. Here we're looking at the very last days of the last seven years in history. And it's at this time that angels will pour out bowls filled with the wrath of God on planet Earth. And when that happens, everything will come to an end very quickly. It will all be over. These bowls will be poured out in rapid succession. And when it's done, the wrath of God is complete. Now, John saw seven angels get those seven bowls in the heavenlies in chapter 15. In verse 1, they're now commanded of chapter 16, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Now, I just want to look at five of the bowls, the first five bowl judgments tonight, very briefly, and then just so you know, we're going to springboard to a different topic that I have for you tonight. Something very important. But let's just... Quickly, briefly, look at these first five bowls. Look at bowl number one, verse two. 
So the first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. When bowl number one is poured out, most of the people on planet earth will develop some hideous sore on their body. There'll be a mass breakout of sores. And these sores are going to be gross. Look at the two words that John uses to discuss, to uh, describe them. They're foul and loathsome sores. Foul meaning evil, sick, harmful, destructive. Loathsome meaning these sores will cause them to grieve. It will cause them suffering. They'll be in pain. The language used here indicates that these sores will be like open, oozing, festering boils on the body. And can you just imagine the panic that will take place when everybody wakes up one morning with these sores? There'll be panic. I have three children, six, four, and three, and they're in the stage where they get boo-boos. You know, daddy got a boo-boo. And my three-year-old, I'm telling you what, if he sees one hint of blood, he goes berserk. I mean, he just goes nuts. And that's always how I've sort of pictured planet Earth at this time. When everybody develops these sores, you're going to see people go berserk, wondering what's happened. Where do these sores come from? Well, some think it will come from nuclear fallout of some sort, but I think it's connected with the mark that they get. What does it say there in verse 2? Sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those who have taken the mark of the beast during the tribulation period, which will be most of the population, will receive this sore. And so I think this sore will be connected with this mark. And you know the technology exists today to, to implant chips under the skin, right hand, forehead. Maybe there's a, a wild, wide-scale battery leakage of some sort. Whatever takes place, they develop these sores. Look at bowl number two, verse three. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Bowl number two, the ocean, the sea, turns to blood, and it's actually pretty graphic. It says, it became blood as of a dead man. That is, the sea will turn to the color of blood like you might find rotting in the veins of a corpse. Sticky, coagulated, rotting blood. Oil, pollution, could be the cause. It could be a nuclear fallout, again, radioactive debris. But whatever the case is, the sea turns to blood and all the sea creatures die. And the way I read it, the whole sea. Earlier in the book of Revelation, in the trumpet judgments, it says that a third of the sea turns to blood. Here, all of it turns to blood. That's bowl number two. It affects the seas. Look what bowl number three affects. 
Verse 4, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. So now you have the sea turned to blood, and now you have fresh water supplies on planet Earth turned to blood. Water creatures dying. And I think this is in total. Can you imagine how scared people will be? Can you imagine all of the water on planet Earth contaminated? And this is why we know that we're very near the end here in the book of Revelation, because humanity can't live without water long. I think all of us feel a chill in our soul every time we turn on the TV and we hear some expert telling us about the future water crisis. Imagine what will take place there. Now you say, this is harsh. It is. These are very harsh judgments. And you should know that God is doing this stuff. These are true acts of God. The tribulation period, the judgment of God is poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And it's harsh and it's tough. But look what the angel says. In verse 5, I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. You know what? This kind of stuff looks very, very harsh, but we also know that God is just, and He is righteous, and He is true. And these judgments are being poured out on a world that is in sin and has rejected Him. It's not like God just springs this on them. Thousands of years, God has had His mercy and grace available to everyone. But here, it's over. The wrath of God falls. And you know what? My brother and sister in Christ, I think we should praise God for that. I mean, when I think of the wrath of God, that makes me do one thing, obviously. I want to get out there and start sharing the gospel telling everybody that I know about Jesus. But you know what? I'm also seeing as I study the book of Revelation that that's one reason to praise God. You know, it's interesting. As you look through the book of Revelation, you'll see a number of worship services erupt in heaven. The saints in heaven start singing to God as soon as they learn that His wrath is about to be poured out on planet Earth. And you think, that's odd. Why would they sing? The wrath of God is about to be poured out. I think they're praising Him for His wrath. And I think we should too, because I think it's wonderful tonight to know that we serve a God who will not let sin and evil and wickedness go on forever. We serve a God who will deal all of that a final deciding blow once. It'll all be over, and I praise God for that. I look around society, and I see things that make me so sad. 
You see things happening in, in war. You read stories about people abducting little children, raping and murdering little children. You see families falling apart. You see people destroying their lives through drug abuse. You see all this hurt and all this pain going on, and I praise God that one day He'll bring it all to an end. It will all be over once. And I praise God for that day in advance. And in God's government... Punishment fits the crime. Look in verse 6. It says, They've shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. The Antichrist and his forces will be butchering Christians during that time. Satan has caused many world leaders throughout all of history to shed the blood of saints. Here they're getting what they deserve. God says, You shed blood, you'll drink blood. God is just. Good bowl number four, verse eight. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. There is global warming, warming coming one day. Pouring out of this bowl, the sun is touched and heat torments people on the earth. People are burned. They're scorched. Not sure how this happens. It could be a depletion in the uh, ozone level. It could be. could be solar flares or, or, you know, it could be God just he has the dimmer and he turns it up. Whatever the case, you got this sun, which is supposed to be a blessing, now causing people torment on planet Earth. And the idea is they get scorched. This isn't a cute little um, sunburn like you get in a golf outing. They're tormented. They're hurting. It's hot. And now you have a bunch of hot people on planet Earth with no water to drink. It'll be terrible. You want to miss it. The prophet Malachi spoke of this day. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. Okay, let's say you're alive on planet Earth during that time and you see all these things taking place. How are you going to respond? You think you might look up and say, help. Look how these people are going to respond. It's predicted in verse 9. The men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Now here, I think it indicates that the people on planet Earth will know that they are witnessing divine judgment. They will know that God is doing this, and yet still they will not give 
glory to God. They will not repent. They'll blaspheme his name. Is that an appropriate response? Look at the fifth bowl, verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. The beast is referring to the Antichrist once again, who is the satanic dictator during the tribulation period. And he will have a kingdom. He'll have a headquarters somewhere on planet Earth. There are some that believe it will be Jerusalem. There are others that will believe, that believe it will be Rome. Whatever the case, wherever this guy's kingdom is, when that fifth bowl is poured out, darkness will fall on his spot. And it'll be terrifying. You know, it's interesting. You look at these bowl judgments, and they're a lot like when you read about what happened to the Egyptians. You remember? God sent Moses to set the people free, and they had to go through all those plagues. A lot like that will happen again. The river turning to blood. Darkness. It says in that time when darkness came on the land in the Egyptians, darkness was so thick you could feel it. This planet will witness darkness like that. It'll be terrifying. We also find out here that the results of all the other bowls will continue up to this point. It says in the end of verse 10, they nod their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. There they are with their sores. Their pain from the the heat. Groping around in the darkness looking for water to drink. And yet do they repent? Does God get their attention? They do not repent. And they blaspheme God. Tough passage, isn't it? What the earth will experience at the end of the tribulation period will be a foretaste of hell on earth. The Bible describes hell as a place where there's no water. Jesus said it was a place of outer darkness. Jesus said it was a place of continual burning. Jesus said it's a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible predicts it. The Bible warns. Will you miss it? I pray that you will. Now here's where I want to shift gears with you. These judgments that we've just studied... These are judicial acts of God. God is in a real sense judging planet earth for sins that they have committed. He's just. 
But I can't help but also believe that God is using all of these things to attempt to get the attention of some on planet Earth. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. Did you know that God wants to get your attention? God wants to get our attention and hold our attention. And there are times when he will allow tragedy into your life in order to get your attention. There are times where he'll allow things to happen to get the attention of nations. On August 23rd, 1992, Hurricane Andrew arrived. Do you remember that storm? Wind gusts at 185 miles per hour. 126,000 single-family homes were destroyed. 160,000 people were left homeless. The total property loss approached $27 billion. 43 deaths and a large number of injuries resulting from that storm. As rescue workers worked the area, they noticed that somebody had put a large sign on the roof of one house that was still standing. And the sign simply said, Okay, God, you've got our attention. Now what? God gets our attention through things like that, doesn't he? We find out, man, we're frail. We're fragile. We're mortal. We're weak. September 11th, terrorist attack. Tax. Do you think that got the attention of our nation? Do you remember the days right after that? Do you remember how everybody was praying? But God didn't hold our attention, did he, as a nation? It seems that now we're back to the usual antics, getting Ten Commandments taken out of courthouses, trying to get that phrase under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, all that good stuff. Boy, I wish we didn't have such short memories. God wants to get our attention. And he will do so many times through tragedy. And I want you to know tonight, I'm thankful for those tragedies. I am thankful for the tragedies that have taken place in people's life because I want you to know something and hear me very close tonight. I have seen boatloads of fruit born out of tragedy. I've been a pastor for seven years. And as a pastor, you end up talking to people when they're right in the midst of some crisis, of some very difficult thing taking place in their life. I've seen it. And I have seen many people come to Jesus Christ through tragedy. I have seen many Christians decide to get serious about their Lord once again through tragedy. I've seen it. Many examples. A few months ago, I talked to a man who was very, very wealthy. 
He had amassed for himself a kingdom. He had everything that you could imagine. And in a matter of days, he lost everything through circumstances beyond his control. And here he came to me weeping, broken. Pastor, I want to get right with God. And he did. He came to Christ. And it was through tragedy that that man found out what life's all about. It's not about stuff. It's about people and relationships and a relationship with God. Oh, I've seen fruit. I went to New Mexico State University where I got my degree in electrical engineering. That's my background. And halfway through my college career, I got serious about the Lord. The Lord finally got my attention. Born and raised in a Christian home, grew up as a Christian, but it wasn't until halfway through college until I really, really got serious. And when I became a Christian, I... God radically changed my life, and I began to go after all my friends to get them saved. And I'll tell you, all my friends got saved eventually, most of them, my best friends, except for one, he was stubborn. I tried everything I could do to get this guy saved. I tried to scare him into the kingdom of God. It was everything that I could do to try and tell him the gospel, and he wouldn't do it, he wouldn't receive it. After we all graduated from school, he was an engineer as well, and we had all sorts of, uh, all friends who were engineers as well. And we all got jobs. He didn't. And I mean, we were getting good jobs. I got my wonderful job with IBM in Tucson, and I'm hooked up, and all these other guys are getting their jobs. And, and he would not get a job. He could not get a job, and he's the one who needed a job the most. At that point, he was about to get married. It was through that event in his life that he finally came to Christ. Fruit. And he later explained it to me. He said, you know, Terry, I was sitting in my home one day just rejected and I couldn't, I had no leads. Nobody was calling me back and he used to play the guitar. And he said, Terry, I got so frustrated that I picked up my guitar and I smashed it into a million pieces on three walls and then I sunk to my knees and dropped and buried my head in the floor. And that's when I said, God help. And he got saved. And he found a good job later, too. I've talked to people who have come to me. Their families have totally fallen apart. Kids out of control, adultery, divorce. Here they come, broken. And God gets their attention. I've spoken with people who have contracted sexual diseases because of sinful lifestyles. Here they come. I've seen people come to Christ out of horrible things like deaths in a family. 
As a pastor, you're there at funeral services and you're there and you talk and you get to meet the whole family. And I've seen people just broken by the death of a loved one. And through that event, as hard and as tragic and difficult as that might be, I've seen people come to Jesus Christ at those services. I've seen Christians get serious about the Lord through those situations. I've seen fruit. There was a man by the name of George Truett who for many years was an effective preacher in Dallas, Texas. That man became a changed man through a terrible misfortune in his life. It seems that when he was a youth, he had accidentally shot and killed a close friend while hunting. Folks, I can't think of much more tragic than that. And yet, the shock of what he had done weighed heavily upon him, but he refused to let it defeat him. And I want you to know, that man determined to live for God, and he endeavored to do the work of two men for the rest of his life. Fruit out of tragedy. Maybe you're here this evening, perhaps listening by radio, internet, CD, whatever. And you're down in the dumps. You're having a tough go right now. Perhaps even someone's thought about checking out lately. Don't do that. Give God your attention. He might have you flat on your back right now so that you'll look up. And you can know God. And you can come into a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. God can, those tragedies, they're hard. I know they're tough, but if there's fruit that comes out of them, then praise God for them. Maybe you're a Christian here tonight. You're backslidden. You're not following the Lord. And you have found something's in your life now that is the discipline of God. And remember that God disciplines those whom He loves. Will you give him your attention? Now, here's the great thing. God does get our attention through tragedy. But that's not the only way he attempts to get our attention, folks. And here's what I want to get to tonight. It's my opinion that the tragedy card is the last card that God uses after he's exhausted all the other ways that he tries to get our attention. Did you know that there are friendlier ways that God tries to get our attention? Not just through tragedy. You can all breathe now. There are friendlier ways. God would seek to get our attention in other ways before bold judgments and tragedies. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the friendlier ways. 
that God wants to get our attention. Did you know that the Bible teaches that God attempts to get our attention through preaching and teaching of the written Word of God? God seeks to get our attention through a simple Bible study like we're having tonight. It says in Romans chapter 10, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. God sends preachers into the world to preach his written word to get the attention of people. Bible studies. And that should be the job of every preacher, by the way. The preacher should be given Bible studies. How tragic for a congregation to have to listen to a preacher giving all of his opinions about all sorts of things. No, preachers and teachers should just preach and teach the written Word of God because the written Word of God tells us all that we need to know. The Bible teaches that the pathway of sin leads to destruction, judgment, and you don't want to take it. The Bible teaches that God loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And that if you will accept Him, you'll be forgiven of all your sins and you'll go to heaven. Those are all there. And the Bible's there to warn us. And then when you become a Christian, as you study the Bible, God seeks to use the Bible in our lives to guide us in our past, to keep us from going wrong ways. It's much easier to learn lessons through a Bible study than it is the hard way. And I'll tell you tonight, I've tried both. I like learning my lesson from the Bible study. It's a lot easier. So maybe you're here tonight and everything's going just fine in your life. There's not a problem. But you don't know the Lord. You haven't given much thought to Christianity. You haven't given much thought to where life ends up. Tonight, God is trying to get your attention through His Word. Through preaching and teaching. Will you give Him your attention? Or do you have to wait? I mean, what we studied tonight, we looked at these bold judgments, and man, that is coming out on planet Earth. At the end of time, I don't want to have to experience it. I'd rather learn the lesson by just reading the prediction. Rather than experiencing the fulfillment. Learn from the written Word of God. Learn from preaching and teaching. There's another way, a friendlier way, that God seeks to get our attention. Did you know, Christian, that God seeks to get the attention of people through your life? God seeks to get the attention of people through His people. 
through Christians, through us. Christian, God wants to get the attention of other people through your life as people see the way you live. Remember what Jesus said to us in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, Christian. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Christian, that's us. We're the salt and light, and we are to be so different. So different. Man, shock and awe when people meet us. That's what it should be. Non-believers should meet us as Christians and they should think, what was that? Did you see the way that man loved his wife? Did you see how beautiful that family was? Did you see how that person had radical joy? Did you see how that person had peace in the midst of circumstances? Oh, what was that? Man, as non-believers bump into us, they should be shooken. Are you that, my brother, sister in Christ? Can you remember that your job here on planet Earth while you breathe is to be a witness for Jesus Christ? That's why we're here. One Bible teacher said, Many believers are rabbit hole Christians. In the morning they pop out of their safe Christian homes, hold their breath at work, scurry home to their families, and then off to their Bible studies... And finally, end the day praying for the unbelievers they safely avoided all day long. Are you a rabbit hole Christian? Or maybe you're one of those secret agent Christians. You're a Christian undercover. You're a Christian at church, but when you're at school, high school, or... You know, at work, well, then it's a different story. Listen, man, you shouldn't be that way. You need to be on fire for Christ. If there's anybody in your life that has to guess where you stand, then you're off. Be a Christian. Be a witness. God is trying to get the attention of people through you. When do I start? When do I start being a witness? Right now. As soon as you become a Christian. A young man who heard the gospel accepted Christ. And a little while after this, a Christian teacher asked him, What have you done for Christ since you believed? This young believer said, Oh, I'm a learner. Well, said the teacher, when you light a candle, do you light it to make the candle more comfortable or to have it give light? To give light, he said. Do you expect it to give light after it's half burned or when you first light it? As soon as it's lit, very well. Go and share the gospel. 
go and be a witness. And shortly after, there were 50 more Christians in town as a result of that man's work. Meeting a Christian should be a life-changing thing. God seeks to get our attention. And Christian, you know what? We can also get, God can also get our attention through the example of other Christians in our lives as well. A Christian who's backslidden, who's going down a wrong path. Man, there might be another brother or sister in Christ that comes into that person's life and becomes the influence that they need to be. That they need to be. I want to tell you a story from my high school days, which involves Matt Nelson. Matt and I were good friends in high school. As I said, Matt's Pete's younger brother. And when Matt and I first knew each other, we were in the popular crowd. I was born and raised in a Christian home, but I'd been rebellious. And we were in this party crowd there in high school, and we were, we were not living for the Lord. And I just want you to know, Matt Nelson is one of the funniest guys I've ever met. This guy was the life of the party. He was fun. Everybody liked Matt Nelson. Pete got saved. And shortly after, Matt got saved. And their two lives changed. And I remember Matt just totally changed and he went this other direction and everybody in the crowd was just overtaken. They couldn't believe Matt loves Jesus now. I'll never forget that. Because I have to confess to you tonight that that was my biggest failure. There the party crowd was, and there they would ostracize Matt and make fun of Matt, and there I stood and never stuck up for Matt. It would take a number of years for God to get my heart in college, and then I'd get to experience the same things with my friends. But I want you to know tonight that that event the witness of Matt Nelson stuck in my heart. I've never forgotten it. And I can guarantee you the other people didn't forget it either. Such is the power of a witness for Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight with someone who brought you to church. Maybe you're here tonight and God has put a person in your life who is just so different than you. They seem at peace. They seem different. There's something new and exciting about them. Oh, my friend. That Christian has been placed there by God to get your attention. Will you give him your attention? It's much easier. And Christian, will we ask the Lord to help us to be the type of witnesses we need to be? 
friendlier ways. That God tries to get our attention. The Bible also teaches that God tries to get the attention of people through the quiet, convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, very alive and very active on planet Earth. And Jesus told us that when the Holy Spirit would come, he would convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And perhaps you're hearing his still small verse voice in your heart right now tonight. Perhaps he's convicting you of sin. Making you realize that you do sin and you are a sinner. Or perhaps he's convicting you also that there's judgment that comes with sin. Or perhaps he's convicting you of your need for righteousness. You can find righteousness by giving your heart to Jesus Christ. Asking him to be your savior. That small, still voice of the Holy Spirit. Will that get your attention? Here's something even friendlier. Did you know that God also tries to get our attention through kindness? Kindness. The New Testament teaches that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I am convinced that God tries everything he can to get our attention. Kindness, sending people into people's lives, Bible studies, the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, and it's the tragedy thing that he holds till last. But kindness. Have you ever had something happen in your life that was such a blessing and you had no control over it? And you couldn't have made it happen and it just happened and you've often wondered, why did that happen? Maybe it was God. Trying to get your attention. Did he get it? Or perhaps a time in your life where you were in an accident and it was something where you knew you should have died, but your life was spared. Could that have been God trying to get your attention? Did he get it? Speaking of kindness, I can't think of anything more kind than the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Did you know that God loves you so much? He sacrificed his son for you. The Bible does teach that the problem with humanity is sin and that the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short from the glory of God. 
But God sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place for our sins, to take our punishment for us. And he rose again the third day, and he's alive. And the Bible teaches if you'll come to him and ask him to be your Savior, all your sins will be forgiven. You will escape judgment. Because he loved you enough to send his son for you. God wants to get our attention. And he'll use different ways. Will he get your attention tonight? There was a small town that had a railroad running right through it. And there was an intersection there where there had been lots of accidents, cars being hit. And so they tried many different signs to make people aware of this railroad intersection. And none of them seemed to work. There were accidents. Finally, they did write a sign that worked. Just this big sign in bold letters that said, Stop! Look! Listen! And once they posted that sign, the accidents stopped. This is God's threefold warning to every man and woman in danger of soul destruction. Stop. Think on your ways. Look to the cross on which the Savior died to put away sin. Listen. As God says, believe and be saved. Let's close with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.